The fundamental question that these parables ask is this. Is it possible for someone who has fallen away from the faith, a baptized child, to be brought to repentance? And the answer is yes, a thousand times yes. It has to be yes. Or I'm damned. And so are you. Pastor Peter Bender speaking at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. But if we as earthly parents love our children in spite of the fact that they rebel and maybe wander from home, how much more does the Father's love for us in Christ Jesus never cease? That is the birthright that you and I have been given in our baptism. That is our consolation. You can watch and listen to Pastor Peter Bender's teaching, Making the Case for a Dying Man's Consolation, and all of the presentations from this year's conference for a contribution of $300. It's available via on-demand video stream or podcast. Learn more at issuesetc.org. What is the world to me with all its haunted pleasure? To him, what is the world to me? That rhetorical question, of course, compared to riches in Christ, the world is nothing. And yet, in the gospel reading for this coming Sunday, according to the one-year lectionary, Jesus tells a parable about a dishonest manager who's worried because he's going to be put out of his stewardship. And the master in the parable commends the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. And it appears that Jesus commends him as well. What do we make of that? Welcome back to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. It's time to look forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, the ninth Sunday after Trinity. Pastor Peter Bender joins us. He's pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, welcome back. Good to be with you, Todd. It would be convenient today to start with the hymn of the day. What is the world to me? It kind of introduces the overall theme, doesn't it? It surely does. And and we've had so many of these great hymn of the days throughout the Trinity Tide that capture the theme in the gospel or the propers for the day. And this one does it in spades. I mean, the world with all that it offers is not the Christian's God. And sometimes it's just singing that helps us to believe it. That's a strange way of putting it, but it's true. If we're having trouble believing, or if we're filled with worry and doubt about, you know, our temporal possessions, our earthly goods, and so forth, maybe we ought to take up this hymn and sing it in the teeth of our unbelief. Because the world with all that it offers is not our God. All earthly goods and wealth actually belong to God. He created them and he redeemed them in Christ, and they are to be used by the Christian and by the church in service to the gospel and for the benefit of others. So here you have this hymn, What is the world to me with all its vaunted pleasure? when you and you alone, Lord Jesus, are my treasure. I mean, how many times do I say, Todd, that the object of our faith as Christians is Jesus? 
We're disciples of Jesus. We follow Jesus. You only, dearest Lord, my soul's delight shall be. You are my peace, my rest. What is the world to me? Without Christ, it's nothing. Like uh, the other hymn, Lord, thee I love with all my heart. Earth has no pleasure I would share. Yea, heaven itself were void and bare if thou, Lord, were not near me. So the hymn goes on. The world seeks to be praised and honored by the mighty, yet never once reflects that they are frail and flighty. Great turn of phrase in English. But what I truly prize above all things is he, my Jesus, he alone. What is the world to me? It comes up in several other hymns too, this my Jesus. To call Jesus my Jesus is this great conviction of the Christian's faith. Christ has claimed me as his own. You know, he's redeemed me with his holy precious blood, with his innocent suffering and death. And so now, because of that, I dare to call him my Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, my God. He is my everything. So the world seeks after wealth and all that mammon offers, yet never is content, though gold should fill its coffers, which, of course, is also the attitude and disposition of our old nature. I have a higher good. Content with it I'll be. My Jesus is my wealth. What is the world to me? What is the world to me? My Jesus is my treasure. Now the hymn just overflows. My life, my health, my wealth, my friend, my love, my pleasure, my joy, my crown, my all, my bliss eternally. Once more than I declare, what is the world to me? You know, other than that, uh, Jesus doesn't mean too much to us. So you see how packed this hymn is with just fervent language that focuses entire confession of faith upon the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Christian faith is a very personal faith, isn't it? It is in Jesus, who is the Son of God, my Savior. He loves me, and he loves the whole world. He has redeemed me, and he's redeemed his body, the church, with his holy, precious blood. Why, as the Catechism says, that I may be his own. And if we belong to him, who is creator, and who is redeemer, then we have nothing to fear if any loss should come upon us in this life of any earthly good, it is going to serve God's purposes. And so that's why I would say the catechism connections and out of this hymn and out of what we've been discussing now, first commandment, you shall have no other gods. We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. The first article of the creed, you know, I believe that God has made me and all creatures. He's given me my body, soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason, and all my senses, and still takes care of them. He also gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, animals, and all I have. He richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. The more we, again, confess that, like in the hymn, sing it into our unbelief, confess this creed explanation into our unbelief, the more we learn to believe it and the more it's kind of like a, a slap in the face, like the old commercial, thanks, I needed that. You know, everything that I am, everything that I have comes from my God who created me. And everything that I am and everything that I have has been redeemed by the blood of Christ for use. And so then we think about the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And we're praying for it, not because God doesn't give it richly and abundantly. He does, not only to us, but even to the unbeliever, to the wicked people, he gives daily bread, though they don't recognize it. They don't 
acknowledge it. We recognize it. We acknowledge it. And that's part of what we're praying for in the fourth petition to lead us to realize that daily bread comes from our Heavenly Father and to receive it with thanksgiving. And what is meant by daily bread? The Catechism says everything that has to do with the support and needs of the body, such as food, drink, clothing, shoes, house, home, land, animals, money, goods, a devout husband or wife, devout children, devout workers, devout and faithful rulers, good government, good weather, peace, health, self-control, good reputation, good friends, faithful neighbors, and the like. You can see the connection with the first article explanation from the Catechism as well. Saying these things out loud, singing these things out loud into the teeth of unbelief has a way of smashing the idolatrous worship of mammon. And it teaches us to see these things as opportunities to serve our neighbor. All of these gifts of daily bread are there for us to serve our neighbor in love, and they become confessions, how we use them, confessions of the gospel of God's reckless grace uh, for us in Christ Jesus. So make friends for yourself with unrighteous mammon, we will hear in the gospel for the day. How does the collect for this coming Sunday read? Let your merciful ears, O Lord, be open to the prayers of your humble servants, and that they may obtain their petitions, make them to ask such things as shall please you. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. This is a great collect, Todd, because it actually lets us into uh, the theology of prayer itself. So the collect for the week expresses the great biblical insight that we obtain the things we ask for in prayer when those petitions agree with God's word and the promises of the gospel. So nowhere in Holy Scripture am I promised that I will be a millionaire if I simply ask the Lord or that I'll have a Rolls Royce or some other great earthly possession. But when we ask according to God's word and promises, our petitions are heard and they are answered. So this is behind Jesus' general promise concerning prayer. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and to him who seeks he will find and to him who knocks it will be opened. So what a great promise. It is essentially this. God will always give us what we need and what is best for us and what will serve best the cause of preserving our faith in Christ throughout our earthly pilgrimage. Sometimes that may mean more or less of what this world has to give, but whatever it is, whatever God gives, God gives to serve our good for the preservation of our faith and to give us opportunity to serve others and to be a steward of those gifts in service to others. So it's great collect for this Sunday. The intro it is Psalm 54, some selected verses. Yes, it begins this way. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness, put an end to them. O God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. O God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. For he has delivered me from every trouble. And my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. Glory be to the Father, 
and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. So this intro at Psalm 54 is an example of how the Psalter is, as Luther taught, an exposition on the first commandment. We've already mentioned the first commandment as uh, one of the catechism connections for this Sunday. You know, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. God save me. So the Christian faith believes that God upholds our lives and God saves us, that God gives what we need, including deliverance from our enemies, which is a major theme here in this portion of Psalm 54. This intro at Psalm further asserts that vengeance belongs to God, not to us. Correcting the evils of society belongs to God, not to us. Dealing with unbelievers and those that are hostile enemies of the Christian faith, that belongs to God. This psalm confesses that we do not take matters into our own hands, but act faithfully within our vocation and commend the results or the vindication of our cause to God. And so that, that squares again well with, you know, sometimes we have lots of possessions, sometimes we have few possessions, but in any case, we commend ourselves to God in prayer for the daily bread that we need to support us in this body and life, and for the daily bread that we need in order to be of service to our neighbor. And if we have enemies and those who assault us, well, we'll turn over all of that to God, who is our defender, our mighty fortress. The Alleluia verse, uh, Psalm 112, verse 1. Alleluia, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Alleluia. So the verse for the week is a promise to everyone who trusts in the Lord Jesus above all things. Namely, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. And we are blessed through faith in Christ because, of course, he is the ultimate blessed man, isn't he, who lived by faith in his Father and out of fervent love for his Father, he loved us faithfully, even to the point of death. Out of faith in the Lord, we learn to delight in his commandments. We consider them good because they are good, and they bless all who cling to them by faith in Jesus. So, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Hallelujah. And that sets up the gospel for the day. We will get into that gospel in Luke chapter 16, the parable of the dishonest manager with Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy, while we look forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. How do the global flood, circumcision, and the Israelites wandering in the wilderness foreshadow the baptismal flood in Christ? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for August, The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. This new Bible study is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or find out more about The Baptismal River at issuesetc.org. The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. Job saw the city as a wasteland, as if devoid of God, witnessing injustice to the poor by the corrupt, lawlessness of criminals, trafficking of children, blatant immorality, thinking God could not see wicked deeds done in the dark of night. Yet God never abandoned Job, 
nor his city groaning for mercy. God is working through the living Redeemer, hands etched with salvation, pointing to the resurrection to come. Join us at lcms.org slash citymission to seek peace and shine the light in the city. A mobile Lutheran Bible study. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue our adventures in Acts with Pride Goeth Before Destruction. Set apart by the Spirit, Elymas and Paul, God has brought to Israel a Savior, and we bring you the good news. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Welcome back. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, the ninth Sunday after Trinity. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. The gospel reading for this coming Sunday, Luke 16, 1 through 9, and perhaps 10 through 13. Correct. Uh, 1 through 9 is the parable itself. And then 10 through 13, which is bracketed, I highly recommend including them because it helps to give the context for this rather strange parable. Now, in the ESV, the translation calls it the parable of the dishonest manager. I don't particularly like that kind of vocabulary. I prefer the older language of steward and stewardship because of how it agrees so well with the understanding of the office of the ministry for one as a stewardship from God. So you might remember it was titled the parable of the unjust steward, or another one that I really like, the parable of the shrewd steward. So here's how it reads, and I I will read it out of the uh, ESV. Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do? Since my master has taken the management away from me, I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, 
Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. And then verses 10 through 13. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Well, Todd, parables are strange. They are like curveballs that we don't expect or a knuckleball that you just don't know which way it's going to go. They help us meditate upon such mysteries of the kingdom as the grace of God and how God's grace operates and works is so radically different from human reason and the ways of the works righteous flesh. So Jesus extols the purpose of parables in Luke chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. It's just prior to his explanation of the parable of the sower and the seed. And I use the Luke translation because it's eight chapters ahead of this particular parable. But it reads like this. His disciples asked him about the parables, what they meant. And he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Secrets, mysteries. But for others, they're in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. So if we think about parables as illustrations that make something easier to understand, then we've got it wrong. Parables are as Jesus indicates, uniquely for the Christian. They help us to think about and to meditate upon the mysteries of the kingdom of God, these secret things, as it were. So think about this parable. An unbeliever can understand the basic plot, right? The guy's going to be put out of his stewardship. What am I going to do? I can't dig. I'm ashamed to beg. Ah, he thinks of an idea. I'll alter the accounts of my master, I'll sign off on each of those for his debtors. My master will have to honor what I have done, and those debtors will be very happy, and they'll receive me into their home, so I'll not be put out on the street. An unbeliever can understand that. But what the unbeliever doesn't grasp is, what does this have to do with the kingdom of God? And even the Christian is slow to grasp that. This is one of the, for many, most perplexing gospel readings in the entire church year. But by meditating upon this parable and what Jesus says about it, and why I also encourage the reading of those verses 10 through 13 at the end of the parable, really is instructive for us. So the context of the parable, and I'm going I'm to use the term shrewd steward as opposed to uh, unjust manager. Think about the context in Luke's gospel. This is Luke chapter 16. In the previous chapter, 15, you have the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. Those are the three parables that immediately precede this parable. 
And we know that, that they're about Jesus' passion, not only for saving the lost, but reclaiming a baptized child who maybe has wandered away from the faith. And those three parables were told, especially in addressing the Pharisees' objection that Jesus received sinners and ate with them. And then after these parables is the parable of the shrewd steward. And following that parable, immediately following it, the Pharisees derided Jesus because of what he said in these parables, because of his teaching, and are described as those who justify themselves before men because what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So that's the context of the parable of the shrewd steward. Now, the concluding verses of the gospel for the day verses 10 through 13 are clearly a call to repentance for making idols out of earthly mammon. So one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? And here, no servant can serve two masters. You know, who is your God? In whom do you trust or in what do you trust? For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So we find out who our God is, if we use language of Luther from the large catechism, his explanation to the first commandment. If we ask ourselves the question, what are those things that I just can't live without? I can't let go with this. If I don't have this, I'm not going to be happy. That's how we find out what the idols are in our life. So those concluding verses that I just reread, also talk about faithful stewardship. The faithful stewardship of the minister of the gospel and the faithful stewardship of the Christian in his or her life. And that's why I favor the word steward as opposed to manager. A steward is a caretaker of another's property and goods or vineyard for the sake of the master and in service to those who are placed under his stewardship. So if you think about a pastor in that particular position, St. Paul calls him a steward of the mysteries of grace. So the plot of the parable of the shrewd steward, again, as I said at the outset, it shocks us because Jesus commends the steward for doing things that we would otherwise call sin. How can he do that? And it offends our sensibilities. Here, the steward is going to be put out of the stewardship. Accusations have been brought against him that he's wasting his master's goods. So he has them alter accounts, the debtors, and then he signs off on them knowing that the master will have to honor his signature because he was still steward at the time. This is to be commended. See, it doesn't make sense to us it offends our sensibilities. Well, the rich man was obligated to honor the arrangements that the steward made, and that's why the master calls him shrewd. He's called shrewd by the rich man, and Jesus himself calls him shrewd. He says that, you know, the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light, clearly identifying a difference between believers and unbelievers. And the irony is 
and I mentioned this in our opening remarks, unbelievers are sometimes quicker than believers to understand the benefits of showing mercy to others with one's temporal goods. You'd think that believers should be the ones that with reckless abandon use their money and their wealth and their treasures and their talents entirely in service to God and the neighbor and for the sake of the gospel. But it turns out that so often unbelievers are those who shower their treasures and goods with reckless abandon. Now, for entirely different motivations, and so often those motivations are entirely self-serving, as we see in this unjust steward, but nonetheless, they understand the value of mercy. And what an irony that unbelievers should be in that position. It should be believers. So it is this understanding, if you will, that Jesus commends to understand that all that we are and have are gifts of God. They're not really ours at all. And we Christians sometimes hold on to earthly mammon as if it is the source of our happiness and contentment. And that if we don't hold on to these things, we will perish. Well, that is rank idolatry. And the refusal to believe that God who has created and redeemed and sanctified us will indeed take care of us. So this is true in our lives as individual Christians and for the church and for our congregations. If we dare to take the Lord at his word, he will provide, he will take care of us. And here's another irony, another paradox. The more that we learn to believe this and expend our earthly goods with reckless abandon, not as poor stewards, but in service to the gospel and in service to others for the sake of the gospel, the more God blesses. And he blesses in ways that are sometimes difficult to calculate prior to the blessing. But afterwards, we see in hindsight all of the ways in which God not only provided, but then also brought blessing to us and to others, because that's always the way it is with God's grace. When God's grace is extended, you never run out of it. And when God's grace is extended through the temporal treasures and gifts that God has given us, it seems as if we have an abundance of those gifts. And indeed, that is according to the word and promises of God. We can run back to the collect for the day and think about that in the context of that collect. So this is the bottom line for this parable. All of our earthly treasures and goods really belong to the Lord. And we are to make reckless, bold, and generous use of them all in service to the gospel. Why? So that others might come to know Christ and using the language of the parable, receive us together with them in the heavenly realm when all earthly mammon fails. We also have in Jesus' words the promise that when our earthly mammon fails, and it does, Christians who have received the gospel will be provided for and will provide for each other, and God gives the ability to do that. That's a promise. So the use of our earthly goods must confess Christ and our priorities as Christians. And this is the point of the hymn of the day. What is the world to me with all its vaunted treasure? If thou and thou alone, Lord Jesus, aren't my treasure. Finally, let me say this about this parable. There is an eerie way in which 
The parable of the shrewd steward reflects Jesus and the kinds of accusations that came against Jesus as his heavenly father's steward. The kinds of things that Jesus did to win us over to the heavenly habitations. We already noted the context of this parable uh, after the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son, the accusations of the scribes and Pharisees who murmured against him, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Was he not accused of squandering his father's goods? If you claim to be a prophet, if you claim to be the son of God, if you claim to be Messiah, then you would not do the kinds of things that you are doing. Was he not, as it were, seemingly put out of the stewardship when he was crucified outside the gates of Jerusalem? Was he not stripped of all of his earthly possessions? Did not his actions on our behalf result in a radical altering, if you will, of our accounts before God? Not simply reducing them, but canceling our debt before the Father entirely. So I think it would be a mistake not to make those kinds of connections in this parable as well. This is how parables, again, going back to the, their purpose, help the Christian to meditate and think about the mysteries of the kingdom of God, the mysteries of God's grace. Whatever was to our profit, we consider loss for the sake of Christ. Everything is a rubbish compared to knowing him. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, the ninth Sunday after Trinity, according to the one-year lectionary. The Old Testament reading is next in 2 Samuel 22. It is the sentence of this court that Theseus Cyprianus be executed with the sword. Cyprian, thanks be to God. Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod President Pastor Matt Harrison speaking at this year's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. So, I would rather lay down on this spot and have my head chopped off than give up the Word of God. But with that strong, biblically informed conscience, I shall face my day and age. You shall face this day and age. We will confess Christ no matter what we face. And we will bear witness to a better way in Jesus. Come what may. Amen. You can watch and listen to Pastor Matt Harrison making the case for the Lutheran option from the 2023 Making the Case Conference for a $300 gift by Labor Day. You can access an on-demand video stream or download a podcast of the entire conference. Order today at issuesetc.org. Register today. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through the 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky. The conference includes visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Online registration is open now with early bird pricing at lutheransforlife.org conference. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org. When you hear the word heresy, what do you think of? Do you think of some ancient debate the church has gotten over and forgotten? You think of some stubby old theologians just arguing over things that don't matter? There's a lot more to heresies than you might think. And that's what the August issue of The Lutheran Witness is all about. Heresies, ancient and modern. To pick up your copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website, witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective.
Grace, Faith, Scripture, and Christ alone. You're listening to Issues Etc. Is it hard? Yes. Will it challenge you? Absolutely. Is it a blessing from God for you and those you will serve without question? Dr. Lawrence Rast, President of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. The pastoral ministry is all of these things, and that's why Concordia Theological Seminary exists to form servants in Jesus Christ who teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Men from all over the world with a variety of unique backgrounds come to our campus to receive faithful training that will equip them for the challenging but blessed work of serving as pastors in Christ's church. Learn more about studying for the vocation of pastor at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Christ-Centered Worship Confessional Theology Lutheran Community, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary with Pastor Peter Bender. Pastor Bender, the Old Testament reading for this coming Sunday is a psalm of sorts from 2 Samuel 22, beginning at verse 26. Yes, it is. It comes from these last words of David toward the very, very end of his service as king. The context of this Old Testament reading is significant. David's own life and stewardship as king. Think about it for a minute before I read the text. He was the recipient of the kind of treatment from the Lord that he describes in these verses. In other words, the Lord dealt with David differently at different times in David's life and ministry as king, depending upon what good he was doing or what shenanigans David was engaged in. Two examples I think would would suffice in this regard. His virtuous conduct when hunted by Saul. You know, he would not raise a hand against the Lord's anointed. And the Lord protected him and gave him peace in so doing. On the other hand, his crooked or perverse or shrewd conduct in trying to cover up his sin of adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband caused the Lord to deal with him in a very shrewd way to bring his sin to the light of day. So here's how the Old Testament reads. And you'll notice right at the outset that Jesus is referring to this particular text from the Old Testament in the parable of the shrewd steward. With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? 
This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. This is the word of the Lord. So I wanted us to have the context of David's life just a little bit in mind when we're hearing that text, because I really think it opens up to us the text's significance, how his virtuous conduct when hunted by Saul resulted in the Lord dealing with him. You know, with the blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. With the merciful, you'll show yourself merciful. But he really thought he could outfox the Lord when he engaged in this conspiracy to cover up his sin. But you couldn't outfox the Lord. You know, with the crooked, you will make yourself seem tortuous. Or with the shrewd, you will show yourself to be shrewd. You save a humble people. David learned that. But your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. And David had to be brought down. In order, in order to make alive, God puts to death. In order to raise us to the heights of heaven, he brings us down to the pit of hell. And I think about how Nathan told that lovely parable to David about the rich man and the poor man and how the rich man stole the poor man's little ewe lamb and slaughtered it for the feast. And by that shrewd parable, he brought David's sin to the light of day. So you can't outfox the Lord. We learned that in the Old Testament reading for the day. It's in three parts. Uh, Part one lists the way the Lord acts which is quoted in the gospel. Part two is a confession of faith that David makes kind of in response to how he had been a recipient of the Lord's actions in his life. Sometimes the Lord was shrewd with him. Sometimes he was merciful with him. And then part three extends David's confession of faith to a word of proclamation to others. And I find it delightful that at the end of this kind of canticle that David sings, All glory is given to the Lord. Who is a God but the Lord? Who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge, has made my way blameless, and made my feet like the feet of a deer, and set me secure on the heights. We will look at the gradual in Psalm 8 and the assigned psalm in Psalm 51 for the ninth Sunday after Trinity, according to the one-year lectionary with Pastor Peter Bender, next. Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red Journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Theology for Blue Collar, White Collar, and Clerical Collar. You're listening to Issues Etc. Is your child struggling at school? 
Are you thinking about homeschooling? Would you like help knowing what to teach and how to teach it? The Simply Classical curriculum from Memoria Press provides an enriching step-by-step classical Christian education for students who have autism, learning or behavioral difficulties, ADHD, and more. You'll find everything you need, including daily lesson plans to guide your way. Learn more at simplyclassical.com. Use LPR23 to save on your order. simplyclassical.com. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. He is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. If you appreciate Pastor Bender's teaching, be sure to order a recording of the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case conference. You can watch and listen to Pastor Bender's presentation, Making the Case for a Dying Man's Consolation, for a donation of $300 by Labor Day. We'll send you a link and a password to video and audio recordings. You can order online at issuesetc.org or by giving us a call, 618-223-8385. Pastor Bender, we come to the gradual, which is Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And let me just say this about the gradual. The Lord's name is majestic, and his glory is above the heavens, precisely because of the Lord's own shrewd ways, which are intended to call us back to his mercy and grace as the fountain and source of our life, as they did in the life of David. Now, if we don't sing the gradual, we can use Psalm 51, verses 1 through 12 are appointed for this Sunday with verse 18 serving as the antiphon. And here again, this appointed psalm fits so well with the Old Testament reading because this is the psalm that was inspired by the Holy Spirit through the word of the gospel in David's heart in response to the ministry of the prophet Nathan that called David to repentance. So with what we just talked about in the Old Testament reading about how the shrewd ways of the Lord in Nathan's ministry to David brought about genuine contrition and repentance and restored David to the blameless way, this uh, psalm becomes so very appropriate. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. 
Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. So this Psalm 51, in the context of the Old Testament reading, David's last words in 2 Samuel 22, really indicate what a blameless man is. A blameless man is not the man in whom there was never any sin. A blameless man is the man whom the Lord, by his shrewd ministry of the word, brought him to contrition and repentance to receive his forgiveness. So Nathan, as the Lord's man, dealt very shrewdly with David in that little parable that he told, and Nathan's ministry resulted in this contrition and repentance reflected in the prayer in Psalm 51. The antiphon is verse 18, do good to Zion in your good pleasure, build up the walls of Jerusalem. It extols how what David learned from the Lord's shrewd treatment of him personally was indeed how the Lord does good to the church corporately, to Zion and how he builds up the walls of Jerusalem. And that leads us directly into the epistle for this Sunday. 1 Corinthians 10, beginning at 6. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is the word of the Lord. Now, Todd, the context of this epistle clearly is the history of Israel. And that history was to serve as an example to Christians and to the church. A, calling us to repentance for the idolatry of indulging our covetous desires, and B, reminding us of the shrewd ways in which the Lord taught Israel the folly of her idolatry and how it would end in her destruction. So if you take David's words from the Old Testament reading for the day, you see how they played out in Israel's history and in the Lord's ministering to Israel in calling her to repentance and faith or preserving her in the faith. Jesus is the man in whom we take refuge. He faced every temptation that we face. 
Let everyone who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And Jesus faced them all for us. And then this epistle concludes with the wonderful promise. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And the temptation is, remember, to turn away from the Lord, to believe the Lord cannot be trusted. You must take matters into your own hands, which is a recipe for disaster. God is able to provide the way of escape and to preserve you in his faith and grace. How would you summarize this coming Sunday in terms of law and gospel? Four things I think the law must address. Number one, the idolatry of riches, including all possessions, all money, goods, including one's status in life, you know, his office, his position of power, authority, one's education, his advanced degrees, his accomplishments, how far he's advanced in his career, uh, one's position in life. All of these things can become idols. But it also means under the theme for the day that all of these things are opportunities for us in our possessions, money, goods, station in life, education, and calling to serve our neighbor in love for the sake of Christ. Number two, I think the law must address worry and the fear over the loss of earthly riches. Number three, the excuses and justifications we make to ourselves as to why we can't make friends with unrighteous mammon. I've got to hold on to this. I can't do this. And it obscures the free and joyous stewardship that we have been given as Christians. Number four, the law must address how we who have received undeserved mercy are sometimes less merciful with our earthly goods than unbelievers are with theirs. It may be for different reasons that they do it, but at times they put us to shame. Now, the unique gospel for the day, I'll say three things. Number one, Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, yet he held fast to his Father for us, and that's what gave him joy, the joy of serving his Father and the joy of serving us in love that he might receive us into his heavenly home. Number two, Jesus spent everything absolutely everything for our redemption. He was stripped of everything and he did it joyously and with great delight for the sake of our salvation. And finally, number three, joy and contentment comes from living by faith in the reckless abandon by which Jesus showered his gifts of grace and salvation upon us, that we through faith in his reckless showering of his grace upon us, we might learn to live in that grace as faithful stewards of every temporal gift that he has given us as a confession of our faith in Christ and for the benefit of others that they too might come to know the nature of his reckless grace. Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, thanks. Thank you, Todd. Pastor Bender is a graduate of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, where they form servants in Jesus Christ who teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. 
For more information on studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess, visit ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Thursday on Issues Etc., we'll get a review of the movie Barbie with Pastor Ted Geese. We'll discuss the Lutheran battle for the Bible and church fellowship with Dr. Cameron McKenzie. And we'll respond to your email and the Issues Etc. comment line. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways. Hi, this is Pastor Clayton from Zion Lutheran Church of Mascuda, Illinois, a proud supporter of Issues Etc. Zion is a congregation firmly grounded in God's grace given in the Word and Sacraments where we treasure the timeless beauty of the liturgy. Zion is also a vibrant, young, family-friendly congregation where you would be warmly welcomed. Zion is located at 101 South Railway Street in Mascuda, Illinois, and we would love to share God's gifts of grace with you. For more information, please visit our website at zionmascuta.com.